Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Merry Christmas! Y'all look like a pretty happy group. I'm glad about that. I'm glad. It's, it's good to be happy, especially if you're inviting people to our Christmas Eve service, which I hope you're doing. That's part of your great joy. We, don't forget, we've got invitations on your way out. And you know, I know you've probably been you know, thinking about family, friends, neighbors. I, I want to challenge you in the next two days. Today and Monday. We'll do, do that. Maybe even some Tuesday morning. Why don't you take a shot at inviting some total strangers? Just random total strangers that you might, that God might put in front of your path. Just get you, uh, we've we still got plenty of these little invitation cards that you can get on your way out. And just stop when God puts somebody in front of you that you don't know. And just say, hey, I'm going to be at the Christmas Eve service at 4 o'clock. Would love. Dylan! What's up, dude? How are you? <laughs> Sorry. Dylan's back home. Um, yeah! He's one of our, uh, in our, in the military, who keeps our coast safe, and we're grateful. Thank you, bro. Um, what's that talking about? Oh, inviting people. See, they invited Dylan. All the way from Florida he came. You know? So you can invite, too. People will come from Florida and far off places. Uh, so, so give an invitation. We're, we're, we're grateful that, that you're out there doing that. You know, Christmas, Christmas is just a fun time. Oh, and I'm, I'm supposed to say this. Where's Guy? You didn't raise your hand. I almost forgot. Guy didn't remind me. He knows I'm getting old. He needs help. Um, one of the things that happens, and as you know, many people travel during the holidays, and some of our, our deacons and other leaders are traveling, uh, seeing family and stuff, and so we need additional assistance for things like sharing uh, communion, serving communion, uh, and, and other things, greeting and those kinds of things for a Christmas Eve service. It's not too late to serve at whichever service you're coming to. If you will see Pastor Guy, um, he'll let you know how he can best place you to, to serve folks who will be uh, with us that night and so we, we need a lot of additional help but a guy can he can aim you in the right direction okay so stop him after the service or email him uh, today or tomorrow and just let him know which service you'll be at and uh, that you want to want to serve anyway I was saying because Christmas is an exciting time there's a lot of just a lot of joy in it a lot of fun things to do a lot of things to engage there's presents and there's lights how many of y'all been to James Island County Park and seen the lights out there okay put your hands down how many of you stopped by Krispy Kreme first Okay, you, you, you have not experienced the drive through lights without Krispy Kreme and hot chocolate. I'm just, just saying, so it's a little messy, so take a towel, put it in your lap, but that's the way to rock those lights, man. I'm just telling you. Just saying it's all, okay? Um, so parties, there's, there's lights, there's all those kinds of things. There's, there's family traditions, there's decorations, there's church, church family events, you know. Um, years ago, they were probably more prominent than they are today. Uh, used to, every church did one, but mo- there are a lot of churches who still do the Christmas pageants, you know, where they, 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 the kids are involved and all that kind of stuff. I, I grabbed a little, little video of one of them that I thought was just incredible. I want to show you. It's about 17 seconds long.
Do y'all, y'all notice the guy? I think he's playing Joseph. He's in the light blue and the white just to the left of the angel. He's like, what, what's up with this angel? Now, you know you've got a popping Christmas pageant if your angel can bust a move like that. You, you, that is a rocking Christmas pageant, you know? There, there's just so much joy that, that, that comes at, at, at Christmas. And uh, there, there are all kinds of things. And, you know, you, you look around and you see people that are experiencing great joy. Experiencing levels of just beauty at, at Christmas. And then there are others who this time of year, and maybe you even find yourself in the room today, and this is true for you. When Christmas rolled around this year, things were a little difficult for you. Maybe a, a, a bit of a struggle. And it might be for the very first time this year that some precious person to you is not going to be at the table because they've passed on. Maybe, maybe for you, uh, it's that you have been longing for something different this Christmas and it's not going to come true again. Maybe you had been longing for a child by now or you had been longing for a spouse or, or, or there's just this longing that doesn't look like it's going to happen before Christmas gets here. Some of you may be getting together with family again, but there are going to be questions and concerns because there's somebody who's estranged who for some reason they're, they're not going to be there and your family get together is going to look very different it's going to, there's going to be some tension there it'll take away from the celebration and the truth is when these situations and these, these seasons happen when, when it seems like it's the time of year to be having just a great celebration, a great time, and everybody else is. If you're one of those who's struggling, then it's like your pain gets put under a magnifying glass. It's like the despair gets multiplied over. You know, despair is defined as the complete loss or the absence of hope. And the truth is, Every human being on this planet, I think, has one time or another over the course of a lifetime experienced some wave of, of despair. And, and maybe you're in this Christmas season and you find yourself in this, this place of despair. The Christmas story has a message for you. Because the Christmas story is all about deliverance from despair. It's all about that. See, throughout history, God's people have had a history of despair. You, you read this Bible all the way through from cover to cover, and you will see story after story after story of God's own people, his chosen people, experiencing just pits of, uh, of despair, struggles with intensity. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at the opening chapters of the Bible, and we saw there in, back in the Garden of Eden, kind of when this whole despair thing began, and in the, the moment when it looked like all was, was lost, where the only thing left was hopelessness, we see in that moment the first sign from God that he would send a Messiah, that he would send one who would deliver people from the trap of sin, because... Adam and Eve sinned. 
And the, the, the trend of sin continued. When you read, again, God's Word, all, every one of those stories uh, about different people, whether it was Noah or Joseph or Moses or Jacob, Abraham, any of them, they all sinned. Every, every guy and gal in this book, except for Jesus, sinned. And guess what? We continue to set that trend ourselves. Each, each and every one of us. And so at Christmas, one of the things that God does is he underscores and he, he did it in Genesis and he, he does it at Christmas and he, he does it in every story uh, from real life events in, in, in his word. He underscores the need that we have for a deliverer and that he is going to send one. But you know, there are people who live under kind of a false premise. They live, they live with this in mind that what I've got to do is I've got to, I've got to get my nice list at the end of my life to be longer than my naughty list and then me and God will be okay. And I, I can get into heaven, you know. As long as my good deeds are longer than my list of bad needs, deeds, I can, you know, then God's got to let me into heaven. Isn't that the deal, God? Theologians call that works righteousness. It's where I think I can work myself, you know, into enough good deeds that God's got to, to take me into heaven. But here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says, if you've broken one of God's commands, just one, pick one. Lying, stealing, just whatever, you pick one. The Bible says if you break one, you've broken all. That, that's God's standard. How many of you have ever, ever had like a broken window pane, you know? Maybe by a baseball or a rock or something like that. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's hit by one rock or 50 rocks. You still got to replace that pain. You, you got you to you fix that thing. And see, here's the deal about heaven. heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. And gaining entrance into heaven requires perfection. And the deal is if somehow we could have earned our way to heaven through our good deeds, even though we were imperfect sinners, then what that means is, is that God made a tragic mistake by sending his son Jesus that first Christmas. If any of us could, could do that, why, why would he have to come to earth? Why would he have to, to die an atoning death on the cross if even one person could make it there on their own? Because there would be no need for Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us there's not one. There's not one. And that's why God intervened that first Christmas. That's why God sent Jesus. Because one day all of us are going to stand before God. Everyone who's ever lived, everyone who's currently living, we're all going to stand before God. And here's the deal. You're not going to be compared to your immoral family member. You're not going to be compared to your unjust boss. You're going to be compared to Jesus Christ. The guy who came from heaven, left it, sacrificially, choosing to, came down to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, put himself in a very vulnerable position. And not only did he live sinless, he lived selfless. And he made himself the total selfless sacrifice, even to death. And see, our only hope for entrance into God's kingdom is putting our trust in him. It's the only hope we have. To trust in the one that God said, here is my deliverer. He is the one that will deliver you. And I want to turn our attention to a passage from the Old Testament that 
tells us about God sending the deliverer. God promising that. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, if you've got a worksheet, most of the scripture we're going to look at today is actually what was able to fit on your worksheet today. If you don't have a Bible, there's usually one in a seat in front of you. You can grab one there. But in Isaiah chapter 9, as you're getting there, I want to give you some context. The king of Judah at this time, the king of God's people is a guy named Ahaz. And Ahaz refuses to turn back to God. He says, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to rule my way. I'm the king. This is what. So God was bypassing the king and he was going to his people through the prophet Isaiah and he's warning his people, you need to turn back to me or else the enemies that are surrounding you and they were many. Many enemies were surrounding Judah at this time. One of the greatest enemies they were facing were the Assyrians. The Assyrian army had already conquered the northern tribes of Israel and taken them into captivity. And they were surrounding Judah at this time. And God, God was saying, the only hope you have is to turn back to me. And Isaiah st starts telling them, there's going to be, I know things are dark, I know things are dismal, but there's, there are better days ahead if you will turn back to God. And so God is going to give them some reassurance that no matter how bad, no matter how long it lasts, that God will see them through if they'll turn to him, that God will send deliverance their way. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 starts this way, nevertheless... That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. What you're living in will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Ephtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now, I, I hope, and if, if you didn't, I hope you will in the days ahead. When you get to that word, nevertheless... Anytime you're reading in scripture and there, there's kind of some darkness over here and then you get to that word nevertheless, I hope you wake up, man. That is a wake up word. That is a word that everything's about to change. There's a turning point here. Potential for something incredible is about to happen. And that's what's going on right here. God says this is a turning point. He's, he's shooting a flare up that this passage is going to make it real clear that there are three promises that I, wanna, I want you to rest in. I want you to trust. Even though right now it looks bad, it looks bleak, it looks dark and despairing, I want you to hold on to these things. Nevertheless, grab hold of these. Here's promise number one from this passage from Isaiah. God has promised he will shine light on the darkness of my despair. God has promised that in the, in the middle of, right down the, the, the darkness of human despair, God is going to shine his light. He's going to bring his light on darkness. Now, over and over again in God's word, that word darkness is used throughout the Bible. Look at it in verse 2 of Isaiah 9. It says this. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness. You ever felt like that you weren't only in, in darkness but you were in deep? You were, you were just in deep. I mean so much so like you, you, don't, know, you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean fear sets in. This is what it says. Those in deep darkness a light will shine. So every time you're, you're reading in God's word and you see this, this word darkness, most often it's used as a metaphor. And it's used as a metaphor to describe a life uh, apart from God. A life that's cut off from experiencing his love. A life that doesn't know of his great acceptance. A life that doesn't experience his blessing. And it's a life that usually refuses to follow his direction. 
It's a life that where we choose our own foolishness over the wisdom in God's word. And when that happens, we find ourselves in very dark places. And the dark can be frightening. Have you ever been, just once in your life, ever been in a dark place and been afraid? Other than me. I have. I have. How many of you are familiar with a, a Christian band called For King and Country? Anybody know For King and Country? Great, great band. Um, one of the, it's a, it's a brother kind of duo that lead the band. One of the brother's name is Luke, Luke Smallbone. And Luke, a couple years ago, shared a story about his son Phoenix when Phoenix was about three years old. And Phoenix came and he had not been scared of the dark before, but suddenly he was scared of the dark. And what happened was it was around Christmas time and Luke thought it would just be great if he could find the old cartoon Christmas classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Anybody remember that, that old one? Well, he, he found it. And so he shows it to his family. And a couple of nights later, his son Phoenix starts having these night terrors. And his room's upstairs. Uh, Luke's and his wife Courtney's room's downstairs. And so all of a sudden these wails start happening and they tear off up the stairs, you know. And calm, calm little Phoenix down. And, uh, but this begins to happen night after night after night. And, and Luke realizes if, if something doesn't change, he or Courtney one are going to die going up and down that staircase, you know, chasing after th this kid that's in, in trouble. And so they, they, they talk and they think and they pray together about it and decide that what they've got to do is every night before this little child goes to sleep, they need to, they need to pray over him and they need to read something from God's word about Jesus. And so they start doing that every night with a little phoenix. And they, one of the promises that they get to is where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And so they keep doing this. It doesn't change anything immediately. But after about 10 days to 2 weeks, he notices that the night terror stopped. And he was kind of scared to ask his son about it because he's afraid it would set him off again. But after there had been about four nights of, you know, silent night, he stepped up and said, I got some courage. And so I, I, I asked Phoenix one day, I said, Phoenix, are you not scared of the dark anymore? And Phoenix says, no, Daddy, I'm not scared of the dark anymore. He said, well, what, what happened? And Phoenix said, well, Jesus is the light of the world. There's nothing to be scared of now in the dark. Don't you wish as adults that you could just be presented with the truth of God in Jesus in a switch throw like that? that that's why God's word says you got to have faith as a little child. When, you, when you're facing darkness and despair, you've got to understand that, that Jesus, Jesus is, is the light of the world. That, that's, that's who he has promised he will be. I don't think that it's a coincidence that the first thing recorded in God's word that God said, you remember what it was? What did God say first? Let there be light. What happened? There was light. I, I, I think that is a metaphor for God knowing what the human condition was going to be like. That we were going to need to understand that all he's got to do is speak light and it comes. It illuminates chaos because that's the order of the world. It, it, it just, that, that's what God did. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. 
In John chapter 8, that's, that's what he says. He says, whoever follows me will not do what? Walk in darkness. You, you won't walk in darkness, but you'll, you'll have the light of life. If you know Jesus that way. I also think it's no coincidence that Jesus calls his followers, you and me if you're in Christ, he calls us the light of the world. He, he said in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Folks, if, if, you're looking, if you've ever wondered, what is my life's job description? Right there in Matthew 5. Your life's job description is to be the light of the world. So that others see the good works that you're doing. Not to see you, but so that God is glorified. It's, it's a job description that what we do is we reflect the light of Christ. That we make this really stark difference no matter where we find ourselves. Because we carry the, the love of Christ within us. So that when we step into the darkness out there, you know that the world's a dark place, right? Where you live, work, and play, there's, there's a lot of darkness out there. Sometimes we think it's just over on the other side of the world, you know, in some place like India or Indonesia or something. But folks, it's dark where we live, work, and play. There are people walking in darkness and they're, they're, they're hoping for a way out. And we've got, to, we've got to be the light. That's why we do things like what we did at Love Gave a few weeks ago. Where we literally, people donated some, I started to say gently used items. Some weren't so gently used, but most of them were gently used items. But here's what was happening. There were people there, that's Christmas for them. They were taking that back to the back. They were getting them gift wrapped. And they were going to be giving those as presents. Their kids were coming in and finding their Christmas presents at, at Yard Give. And we were trying to share the light of Christ there. It's the reason that last Sunday, a group from this church that goes down every third Sunday, went down to, to, to feed and share their, their Sunday meal with the homeless in downtown Charleston. And that last week, they took backpacks and that many of you had helped fill down. And they didn't go just to, just to bless, just to do good deeds. They went to share, to share the light of Christ. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, okay, Joe, I got my job description, but I haven't been doing that lately. I want to give you an opportunity to let your light shine in a dark place in our community. Because this coming week, on the 27th, not this week, next week, the 27th of uh, December is going to be an opportunity for you to participate in, in something. So you may want to get your, get your phones out and take a picture of that. Not that, that. Get your phones out and take a picture of that so that you'll have all the details. Because our church, which is in partnership with Low Country Cares, Low Country Cares is like our food bank. It is our effort, our partnering effort with Low Country Cares to bring relief to the poor in the Charleston area. And one of the ways we try to do that is through feeding people who can't afford food. And every so often we do a mass food distribution and we are, Low Country Cares is doing that on the 27th. This year we're doing it at a different location. We're, 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 <laughs> we're doing it, sorry I couldn't help myself. We're doing that um, at Destiny Church. Now Destiny Church is the church that we have partnered with before to do Vacation Bible School. And so we're partnering with them again in order to do this mass food distribution. And on the 27th you can come help. And so this will give you an opportunity to let your light so shine. To, to live out your job description. And it's going to be a great day. We need people there at 8.30 to help unload the truck from the food bank. We need people to pack groceries. 
Sundays. How many of you have ever done that over at Midland Park before? It, it's, it's a great event, a great day. I hope, hope you'll take advantage of it because it'll be a day. Not only will we be giving to, for the purpose of blessing, but we're going to try to have an opportunity to speak uh, about the goodness of Jesus and let, let our light shine that way. See, there are a lot of people. All you got to do is go on any social media stream out there. And you will see people who are always complaining about the way things are. But that's why I love that, that old quote that says it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And, and friends, on the 27th, you can come, come light a candle in a dark place. That part of North Charleston where we'll be serving is... is, is uh, I can't, horribly, I guess that's the best descriptor, is horribly known as the food desert in our community. It's the food desert. It's the place where there's the least amount of food feeding families. And uh, so I hope you'll come out to be a part of that. Because God wants to shine light in desperate situations. Second promise that God makes is this, is that God has promised he's going to infuse joy in the pain of my despair. He, God is going to infuse his joy in the pain of my despair. And, and, and folks, you know this. Despair can be a very painful place. Isaiah speaks to this. He, he, he's, he's about to make a turn uh, in, 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 the, in a prophetic word. But he speaks to it in verse 3. He says, God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel. And its people will rejoice. Those are, those are future tense events. So what he's saying, when he's saying in future tense, what he's saying is right now we're not there yet. Right now there's still, still despair. Right now there's still struggle. He's pointing this, this out. He's pointing out that in order for the, the, the nation to return to kind of a growth, to, to enlarge again, it had to go through this kind of shrinking, this reduction, this, this pain. But four times in verse 3 here, we see this promise of joy or rejoicing. There's that word used four times. He says, the, the people will rejoice. They're, they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And it goes on to say, and like warriors dividing plunder, he says, there's going to be rejoicing like that again. Isaiah is saying, even in the midst of your despair, God is going to bring rejoicing. Even though you're in a very, very dark place. God is going to pour in his joy because God's reminding them that he's not abandoned them. God's reminding them that they can be strengthened knowing that better days are ahead. Look at verse 4. He says this, for you will break the yoke of slavery. He's talking about God's going to do that and for his people. Their slavery yoke will be broken. Uh, and, and he will lift this heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Does anybody remember what that story's about? The destruction of the army of Midian? How about the name Gideon? Does that help you remember anything? If you go to Judges chapter 7 and 8, I encourage you to do this later today. Go back, go back and read that story. Because when Isaiah prophesied these words to uh, the, the, the nation of Israel at this time, when he spoke that word about Midian, man, their radar would have gone off and they would have gotten excited because it's one of the great stories that they love to tell. They love to tell the story of Gideon and the battle of Midian. Uh, the battle with the Midianites. Because it was a time when Israel was facing this very oppressive people group, the Midianites. And they, they had, the Bible tells us they had 135,000 swordsmen. It doesn't tell us how many guys with bows and arrows they had. Just 135,000 swordsmen. And they were 
camped out about to attack the nation of Israel. And so God calls Gideon to rally the troops. And so the troops rally and they show up. And they're, they're way shy of the number of 135,000. But God does this. God, when, when, they, when all the troops finally show up, God says, too many of y'all to go to fight. Just too many of y'all. And, you know, you can kind of see Gideon say, I, I don't think I heard you right, God. We're about a third of their number, but you said there's too many. Yes, there's too many, Gideon. Very seldom in all of history will you ever find a general who's saying, let's, let's scale the troops back before we start going to this battle. It just doesn't happen. They, everybody wants an overwhelming force. But God says, cut it. And so Gideon does. And then God looks at it and says, not enough. Cut some more. So Gideon trims it. Gideon keeps following the Lord. He keeps paring his army down until they're finally. Anybody remember how many are left? 300. 135,000 swordsmen only. We don't know about chariots and arrow guys and all that kind of stuff. And 300 total soldiers. And God says, you got it right now. Let's go to battle. And so you can imagine that they're, they're overwhelmed with fear, but they go. And God gives this incredible victory. You need to go read about this. Why did God do that? Why? The Bible says he's a jealous God. The Bible says that if had, had Gideon and that first full-fledged army gone into battle and won... They would have relied on their own strength from that point forward. Everybody else, everybody would have looked at Gideon and said, Gideon, the man. Gideon's got it going on. We're going to follow him. And, and, and God knew that would lead to their destruction. Because Gideon was a man. And he was capable of failure. God wanted people to know he was the deliverer. And, and, and he alone and so God arranged this in such a way that there would be this great victory for his people but that he would get all of the glory because he knew later on his people were once again going to be a place where they were surrounded by overwhelming odds and they needed to know that their God can overcome incredible odds. God's people need to know that about their God. That he does some of his best work when the odds are really stacked against him. He shines his light the brightest in the darkest of places. And right now, you may be in one of those dark places. You may be in one of those places where you feel like it's stacked against you. You may feel like, I, don't, I can't see any light. You may be in a place of despair that feels completely joyless. But God's word to you today is... I am going to pour joy into your despair. I'm going to pour joy into your despair. Because that's who I am. So trust me. Because in the end, you're going to see the grace of God flow. You may not be happy. But you're going to experience joy. You know, there's a reason that we don't sing happiness to the world. Do you know why? Because your happiness is totally dependent on happenings. 
on your happenstance. Joy comes from another source. It doesn't come from your circumstances, your happenstance. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from knowing this God who delivers. This God who in the darkest of places shines the brightest light. This God who in your deepest despair pours in his joy. That's why we sing joy to the world. Because the Lord has come. Because earth, earth has already received her king. And his name is Jesus. And he's a game changer. And he overcomes all the odds. And so regardless of what your situation, your happenstance happens to be right now, God has a plan. God's able to move. Sometime last Christmas, I don't remember exactly when in the season, but I was reading one of those Christmas devotionals. And it was a setting in, in a church that was a large church that did um, a live nativity. But they did it as a walkthrough experience. And so it had stations. And you could, and the story's being told by the guy who, was at, who played Joseph at the Joseph, Mary, and Baby Jesus station. And you could, you could walk through, you would, they would put you in groups of 8 to 10, and you would walk through this nativity experience. And it was interactive, so you'd walk up to the, where the shepherds were. And you could, the, the shepherds would do a little, you know, something about their experience that first Christmas. And you could ask them questions. You could talk to the shepherds and then you would move on and you'd go to the wise men and it was interactive. You could talk with them and there was the innkeeper and he wasn't real popular with the crowds. But, you know, people, people got to ask him, what was your problem, dude? You know, that kind of thing. And then there was, you got to, to go to where Mary and Joseph and, the ba- and they had a real live baby. And uh, the guy who, who wrote from this wrote about one of the groups and an encounter he had with a little boy. He said, I guess he was seven or eight years old. And he, he was part of one of the groups. And as their group had kind of interacted with us and we had some discussion, um, the little boy didn't ask anything. But as the group was leaving, he started walking off. But then he, he turned around real quickly and came right back. And he came back and he, he had an urgency in his eyes. Like he, he just had to do something. He had, he had, to, he had to, 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 to tell them something. And he said, the the little boy just looked at us and and he said, I I want you to know, you know, I I know I'm from the future. And I I need you to know that 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 little baby is going to grow up and he's going to be a man. And he's going to die a really, really horrible death. But it's going to be okay. Because God is going to save, God's going to save the world from their sin. And, And I just... I want you to know that. And he just kind of politely smiled and left. And the guy who was writing this, who, who played the character of Joseph, said he was so, he was so deeply struck by, by, by what he heard that this innocence of this child just wanted to let him know that it was all going to be all right. Friends, if you, if you showed up today and you're in a season of despair, you need to hear the message of that little boy. There's hope for you. There's hope in Jesus. And God's going to see you through whatever your difficulty is. You keep leaning on him. You keep relying on him. One day you'll understand the specifics. One day you'll understand the particulars of this painful season. One day you'll understand something about every valley of despair that you ever walked in. But you right now hold on to hope in Christ. Because here's the truth. I don't care what the bumper sticker says about life being good. Life is hard, people. 
There are times when life is so hard, but God is always so very, very good. He's always good. Because in the depth of despair, he's going to shine light in that darkness. In the pit of despair, he's promising to infuse joy. And the third promise that we see in this Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah is this. God has promised he will send a savior right into the middle of my despair. He has promised to send a savior, a deliverer into the middle of my despair. See, the the people to whom Isaiah was speaking, they needed a lasting hope. The, The people of Israel, you know, they had... They, they needed more than just a prob, promise of deliverance. See, they'd had kings. They'd had king after king after king who they thought was going to deliver them. And it turned out most of the kings they had were their problems. It ended up being some of their biggest problems. It was the kings who had gotten them into the mess they were currently in because they wouldn't follow God. And Isaiah is saying, I want you to know that God is going to send a lasting solution. Now, if, if you have been, if you stayed awake and you've been kind of paying attention, some of you may be saying, okay, Joe, when are we getting to the Christmas part of this story? Okay? We're there now. Okay? We're there now. Remember, this series was entitled Behind the Scenes. We're, we've been doing the backstories that lead to Christmas. We've been looking at how God was working kind of upstream to bring us to Christmas. We're there in this passage, verse 6. For a child is born to us. A child is born to you. Some translations say, for unto us a child is born. For you, for you, a a, a child was born. Now listen to it. A son is given for you. The government, and this is the government of all humanity, not not your local government, not the United States Congress, not, the, you know, not, not any governing. This is the one who is going to rule over everything. The government of humanity is going to rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This message came to God's people when they were in a moment of great despair. They're they're looking for this powerful Gideon kind of guy to show up. Remember, he's already referenced Gideon. So they're looking for this incredible military leader to come along. Somebody with deep faith. And Isaiah says, a baby showing up. Could you imagine kind of them saying, okay, who's the baby daddy? Who's coming with that baby? Because there's got to be somebody else coming with that baby. He says, no, unto you is... Because this is no ordinary baby. This is, this is Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God choosing to enter human history. And Isaiah is saying, friends, that's going to make all the difference in the world. That it changes the game. No matter what your depth of despair is, the deliverer is coming to be with you, to be in you for always. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And the reason that that's so important to understand that this child is coming that way is because this. God could deliver you from any disease. But you're going to get sick again. God could deliver you from the wreck of any bad news. God could do that. 
But you're going you're gonna to struggle uh, again. See, unless God did something out of the ordinary, amazing, dramatic, something unbelievable, you would still go back and end up in despair. But because he's going to send the deliverer, because this child is born, because he will deliver a new rule and new reign, that by looking behind the scenes at Christmas, we see this big idea is this. Despair in this life will never overwhelm the promises of God. Despair in this life does not overwhelm the promises of God. Because all of God's promises, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. Every one of God's promises is fulfilled in Jesus. All of them are. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what promise from God you're going to this book and you're clinging to and begging God to provide for you. But all of them are yes in Jesus. In that, in that baby. And so when Isaiah speaks this word, he's making this great promise. And God keeps his promise. He keeps his promises in Jesus. This past couple of weeks have been tough for some members of the River Bluff family. Some of you know that Miss Bonnie Pickens lost her son very suddenly, unexpectedly. He was my age. We, we went to high school together, in fact. His name was Dwight. Dwight and his wife Starla owned uh, a family-run business. They were kind of the only two employees primarily. Every now and then they would take somebody else on. But they, Starla has no earthly idea what she's going to do. And she is in a place of despair right now. She has a 16-year-old daughter that she's trying to console in the midst of this. It, it's, a, it's a dark place. And only the hope of Christ can possibly ever see her through. And so I'm asking you to pray for Starla. Some of you know that Boo Maples and Trish Lancaster lost their dad, Andy, recently. And so things are going to be different in their family. See, there, there is this, this great, incredible enemy of humanity called, called death. And God's word says that Jesus came to deliver all of humanity from that great enemy. Sin and, and death. And... See, the people in Israel, when Isaiah was prophesying this, they wanted deliverance right then. And they didn't realize what they needed was a deliverer. They, they didn't just need deliverance because they could fall back in a pit again. They needed, they needed a personal, intimate relationship with the deliverer. So that they would know when they faced darkness again, when, when the light faded again, when anxiety began to come, when sorrow began to intensify, they would know that the deliverer was with them. God in the flesh, e Emmanuel. See, we're on this side of heaven, all of us. And, and we don't know how much longer we're going to have to live in the particular season we're in. Or the next season of, of despair that we're in. But this we can know and we can hold to. That unto us a child is born. Un unto us God's son was given. And when you know that, it changes everything. 
When you, when you realize that, that he's coming back, that's what, that's what Advent is all about. That's why we, we walk through this and we celebrate and we look forward to the return of Christ because he's promised the deliverer is coming back one day to put it all right finally. That day when the government will rest on his shoulders and peace will, will completely reign. I want to close with, with this thought. I, I was honored and, and asked to do Mr. Maple's, Annie Maple's funeral. And I sometimes find myself in situations where I'm, I'm kind of co-leading the funeral with, with others. Um, uh, Mr. Andy was a, a veteran and so the color guard, the, the honor guard was there for the military and, uh, and presented the flag. Mr. Maples was also um, a mason. And so the Masons were there and uh, they were, um, were going to have a leadership part. And I've done funerals with Masons before. And, and you need to hear me say this before you freak out on me. Um, I don't have an axe to grind with Masons. Um, well, Masons in our church. Uh, my dad's the past master of, of a Masonic lodge in North Charleston. Um, so I, I, I understand and I know this. But one of the things I know when I've done funerals where they were participating, they always want to go last. And um, some of you will disagree with this statement. It's okay. I try to be the kind of guy that kind of goes along to get along. I mean, I try to. Somebody say it. No, you ain't. I try. Don't always succeed, but I try to in, in some situations to be that guy and, and I, don't, I don't go out to just pick a fight. But when it comes to a Christian funeral service, I don't want the last thing that people think of to be what the Masons come to deliver at a funeral. I want the last thing that people think about who are facing death to think about the only one who can overcome death is Jesus. He's the only hope for what I am facing. And so I want people to think about that. So they weren't, I made them mad that day. They weren't happy with me. I put them up front. And the, the reason I did that is because I wanted Jesus to be the focus of the rest of the day. And so the family had invited a guy by the name of, of Trey Truluck, who I've done funerals with before, to, to do some of the music. A very gifted uh, musician. And he came and one of the songs they had picked out was a song by Fernando Ortega called Give Me Jesus. I love Give Me Jesus. I love that song. And I asked Trey because it was supposed to, they had arranged it for it to start the service. And I went to Trey when he got there and I said, Trey, would you do me a big favor? Would, could we change the order of the songs? And uh, he, he said, sure, whatever. And I said, I want you to do, give me Jesus here, right here after the Masons go. And he said, do you mind if I ask why? I said, don't mind a bit because I want everything we do from here on out to be about Jesus. And, and just... Just let me tell you something. If you ever find yourself having to preach somebody's funeral, you, bet, you ought to find you somebody who can sing Give Me Jesus. Because it makes what you got to say so much easier afterwards. And so we left there that day with that family being focused on the hope that they have in Jesus alone. Because Jesus is the only one who, who, can, who can deliver in a dark night like that. He's the only one that can really shine light on a grave. He's the only one that can drive out despair by infusing it with, with, with his joy. He's the only king that can deliver because he's a king like no other king. 
who's ever ruled, who's ever reigned. How many kings in history have you ever read about that would get off of his throne just to help one hurting, despairing citizen? How many, how many kings have you ever heard of who just would completely abandon their palace because of the brokenness that's going on out in society? How, how many kings make themselves completely vulnerable to their most deadly enemy just for your sake? There's only one king that's ever done that. He's the king we sing about at Christmas. He's the king who's come. He's the king that heaven has already received. He's the only king that can really, truly deliver. He's the only one who can deliver you from a disease even when you get sick again. He's the only one who can deliver you from an addiction even though you could go to another addiction that may look better. Because you need to know the deliverer. You might be in a pit of despair, but the deliverer will be there with you if you know the deliverer. See, you don't need deliverance as much as you need a personal relationship with the deliverer. And Isaiah told us that his name was Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 tells us this. His government, that rule and reign, his government and its peace will never end. It's going to be that kind of deliverance when Jesus comes again. It, it, will, it will never end. So, so yes, absolutely. At Christmas, make much of the baby in the manger. Make a big deal about it. But also, make much of the Savior who died on the cross. Make much of the deliverer who vanquished death on the third day. Make much of the king who is coming back to make all things new. Make much of him. Because his name is Jesus. And his rule, it has no end. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you right now in this moment. God, I, I don't, I know you know what's going on in every, in every chair in this building right now. You, you know what's going on in every human heart. You know whether, God, they walked into this building filled with joy or whether they walked in in some way sinking in despair. You know. And so, God, who is our deliverer, we come to you. Some of us come maybe for the very first time having heard that what we thought we needed, we didn't need. We thought we just needed a little bit of help to get out of this mess we're in. And we've come to realize today that we are the mess. And maybe what we need deliverance from is our self-rule, our self-reign. We need deliverance from ourselves. And so we come to you, Jesus, saying, I need you to deliver me from me.
from my own rule and reign. I, I, want, I want you to rule and reign now, Lord Jesus. I want you to come and be the leader of my life. I, I repent of trying to do it my own way and I want to I come into your kingdom under your rule and reign that has no end because you are a wonderful counselor, because you are a mighty God, because you're Prince of Peace and I need peace in my life, God. And so maybe today for the very first time you just need to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to deliver me. And the Bible says if you call on the name of Jesus with a heart of repentance, willing to walk with him and trust in him, you'll be saved. Maybe you showed up here today and you've made that decision some time ago. And maybe, maybe you're just in a season of return. Maybe, you, maybe you're stuck in a pit of despair. Maybe, maybe your marriage is coming, falling apart. Maybe, maybe you have a wayward child who you don't know how to deal with. Maybe, maybe there's just this deep struggle with illness. And you're just kind of coming back to the, the deliverer because you've found out it's not just deliverance you need. You need, you need to walk with the deliverer again. And the Bible says, all you got to do is come back. Just return unto me, the Bible says, and I'll return to you. That's who he is. That's who God is for you in Christ. And you can just cry out to him. Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you've given yourself over to some sin, some besetting sin. And you need to be set free today. And maybe what you want to do as an act of defying the evil one is just take that and nail it to one of the crosses before you leave here today and say, Jesus, this pit of despair, this sin, this sorrow that I'm stuck in, God, I leave it with you. Because I'm going to walk with the deliverer now. Many of us here today came in filled with joy, but we have people in our lives who are in pits of despair. And we've not been taking the light of Christ with us into the pit with them. And maybe that's God's call on you today is to remember that he will shine a light in a dark place for others. And you may be that light. He wants to take joy into their pit of despair. And you may be that joy. And they desperately need a savior. And you know him. And maybe today God is, God is already putting a face and a name in your head and heart right now that he is saying that you need to take the deliverer too and give the greatest Christmas gift this year to someone in a pit of despair. So God, we come now. We come saying once again, there's no king like you. None like you. And we want to come and we worship you. We worship you by giving, bringing you your tithes, not ours, it's your 10%. We bring that back to you as you've commanded us. We bring offering, we bring sacrifice to you. We bring ourselves to you, God. Our hearts and minds, we bring our treasure, our talent. We bring it all back to you, God, as we worship you now. And we come proclaiming, there's no other king like you, Jesus. We come declaring our need for you, our reliance on you, our trust in you as we sing. We declare who you are to us. You're our King, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.